everybody, and welcome back to Skip to the Gay Parts, the podcast where I watch an entire series of television and pick out all the LGBTQ characters that made me fall in love with them and then reiterate them back to you. If you're new here, I'm your host, my name is Amanda, and this episode is my third supernatural character study featuring the only character who actually got to be queer in the show the whole time. That's right, it's time to discuss the Queen of Moons herself, Supernatural's lesbian ray of sunshine, Charlie Bradbury. So as discussed before, we all know that Supernatural is simultaneously the most gay and homophobic show to exist on television. They queerbaited us for 12 years with Dean and Cass. They denied Dean's bisexuality even as they displayed it right in front of us. They killed Cass off the moment he declared his gay love for Dean, but they really took the cake when they gave us a lesbian character, managed to mention her queerness in every single episode she was in, but also managed to never once say the word lesbian. Like, it's almost impressive that they never once said the word lesbian about their lesbian character. But truly, nothing is nearly as impressive as the woman herself. Charlie Bradbury is a force of nature. She's one of the women on the show that packs such a punch from the moment we met her that we could never dream of forgetting her. And of course, just as Misha and Jensen are to be thanked for bringing us Cass and Dean, Charlie Bradbury would not be who she was if not for Felicia Day. I cannot imagine anyone else giving Charlie the spirit and soul that Felicia put into her. That role was truly made for her. So thank you, Felicia. The show would not have been the same without Charlie, and Charlie would be nothing without you. Now we all know season seven of Supernatural is how you say bad. It was a bad season. However, it did give us some of the best side characters. We got Kevin, we got Garth, and we first meet Charlie Bradbury in season seven, when Sam gets an alert on his computer. The Winchester's dearly departed hacker friend Frank is sending a message from beyond the grave that some prince was trying to hack into his hard drive and that they need to figure out who it is because that drive has every sensitive piece of information on the Winchesters anyone would ever need to take them down. I also loved that wording. Some prince is trying to hack the drive. Close but no cigar, boys. You are in fact dealing with a queen. Enter Charlie. Nerd queen, hacker extraordinaire, who comes pulling up on her colorful scooter, bouncing onto Supernatural and into our lives, absolutely vibing to walking on sunshine. Her introduction is not only one of the most memorable of the series, probably top two just under Cass's dramatic angel ass, and it's not just because of the elevator dance party, in the short scene where we first meet her, we learn a massive amount of information that forms who she is as a character. We immediately get welcomed into her world of comic books and literary heroes decorating the walls of her cubicle. She says hello to her little Hermione figure, and we watch her sit down and hack a super pack, draining their account, giving all the money to an animal shelter. Her co-worker pops in to say hello and ask her about her date last night, and we find out that she hooked up at a charity benefit. So in less than a minute, we learn that she has a happy, upbeat disposition, that her skill hacking into high security places is effortless, and that she uses that superpower for good to give to charity. And that she's fantastic at hooking up on the fly. Quote, if you cannot score at a reproductive rights benefit, you simply cannot score. She says it, and truly I see why her co-worker is so clearly in puppy love with her. She knows it, we can all see it, but who wouldn't be? She's practically perfect in every way. That right there is also the first of many aspects that Charlie Bradbury can relate directly to our beloved Dean Winchester. Brilliant and skilled at the work that she does for the greater good, and great with a hookup to boot, sounds like Dean Winchester coding to me. She's also a woman who knows her worth. In a meeting with the unfortunate season seven big bad that 
it was Dick Roman, he lays out all of her accomplishments and says that he could make an exact clone of her, and even that wouldn't measure up to the real thing. That Charlie is irreplaceable, which is exactly her goal. She's incredibly self-aware that she's a lot to take in, and she makes no apologies for it. She simply says, the only way I could get away with being me was to be as indispensable as possible. Not saying it sounds like a certain big brother hunter with daddy issues, but adopting the need to make yourself valuable to the people around you as a tool to survive does sound, you know, a little bit familiar. So much of the content we get about Charlie right away only makes her more endearing to us, like psyching herself up by consulting Hermione drawing strength from the fictional character that she looks up to as a hero and using it to get through a hard work situation. Her assuring us again that through a conversation with her coworker that she's not much of a rule follower. And her instincts to protect herself from danger are all sharp as hell. She sees her boss get eaten in a parking garage and runs home to get the fuck out of town. She knew that seeing that and seeing the contents of the drive she was tasked to hack painted a target on her back and it is time to cut and run. That's until she sees her bobblehead just slightly moving and knows she's not alone. I do have to say, just doing a Charlie-based rewatch, this episode does read as the boys entering as a side character into Charlie's world. And that is truly what this woman deserves. She is the main character of her own story, and they are the supporting team, and that is how it should work. And to Charlie's credit, after winding down from Dean and Sam bursting into her home, and her getting the talk from the boys about the reality of monsters, everything goes pretty smoothly. She only mildly panics about the realness of things that go bump in the night. And it is really nice that after meeting her for about five minutes, the boys are right away blown away by her genius. Like, she cracked Frank's uncrackable drive in less than a day. And Sam asks if there's anything she can't hack, and she's like, nothing I've encountered yet. And this scene in her apartment is when the show starts to pepper in little Charlie is sapphic hints. Like, her background on her computer is Arwen from Lord of the Rings. She says that she was having a great week, that she met someone, no gender specified, and she downloaded the new Robin album. Just a little, like, hint, hint, wink, wink moment that's like, did you get it? She's a lesbian. And they make you go, uh, yep, that all tracks. Yeah, that tracks. Which leads to my absolutely favorite Charlieism, her bravery. She learns about all the things that go bump in the night. She finds out that the only way to get information they need from Dick's computer is she needs to break into their office. And she volunteers to do it. The boys give her an out. They say, you did not sign up for this. And she says, you're right, I didn't, but I am now. She cannot live with the information that everyone she knows and loves could be killed and not at least try to stop it. She's a hunter down to her bones. Her bravery and heroism are baked in. The only aspect of her mission that really trips her up, besides her obvious nervousness, is the male security guard standing in her way. The one she does not feel capable of flirting with because he's not a girl. This is where we all collectively say thank you, Charlie Bradbury, because her very presence, just being queer near Dean, helps bring his repression down, like, just a little bit, and you do love to see it. Because if being not attracted to men means that Charlie is not capable of flirting with one, but Dean is perfectly capable of coaching her through it. What else are we supposed to take from that but the fact that Dean is attracted to and is skilled in flirting with men? So thank you for the assist on the bisexual Dean content, Charlie, you funky little lesbian. Even when she gets caught on her way out, we get another line from Dick Roman. He says, I can feed every fact in your brain into someone else and it still wouldn't be you. And as a person who has seen Charlie's storyline all the way through, hearing that again stabbed me directly in the heart and gave me Apocalypse Charlie feelings. But 
More on her later. I'm not sure if Charlie was only intended to be one episode character and later became a fan favorite, but they do write her riding off into the sunset after this first introduction. Her and her glasses are giving us very Clark Kent hiding his identity, which is, I'm sure, what they were going for. And ironically, she's getting on a bus branded sun on the side. She came in walking on sunshine and she's leaving riding on a sun bus. But of course she leaves us with the great, oh, you think you know me? You haven't even scratched the surface kind of line. She turns to the boys and says, you think Charlie Bradbury is my real name? And as much as we think we know her, there is so much more we haven't gotten to learn yet. And damn it, I am so glad this is not the last time we saw her. And not just because Dean says she's like the little sister he never wanted. And that makes me go warm inside. Found family, man. It gets my queer little heart every time. Because once the boys come across a case involving a bunch of nerds who LARP getting killed off, did we have any doubt that our number one nerd woman would be their queen? We do love season eight and its endless queerness. Charlie is the queen of moons and we are all her subjects. And the title is very fitting because as we all know, the moon is a lesbian. Charlie is living her very best life. She's swinging foam swords and vanquishing pretend enemies. She takes off her helmet in a very I am no man fashion. And everyone around her falls in love with her. When she whips her helmet off in that ring, we see the second puppy love eyed man that she pulls a Han Solo on because she is an absolute legend. And again, this woman's self-preservation instincts are on point. Sam and Dean come popping up into her life. She knows that their presence spells danger. And her first reaction is cut and run. Get the fuck out of Dodge while you still can. But of course, once she learns that people she knows and cares about are in the line of fire, she can't walk away. It's not who she is. But this time she makes the boys play by her rules. Do we need to hunt? Fine. But you're in my world now. It's time for an outfit change. Once again, Charlie's very existence around Dean brings his walls down. This time he's way more comfortable around her. The brotherly affection and the softness is apparent, and his queerness is a little closer to the surface when he's near her. This might be the very result of the nature of season eight, the season where Supernatural almost gave us everything by Dean we could ever want. But Charlie's presence is a power-up with this scene where Dean tells her Sam is going through a breakup, and in this life, you can't afford attachments. You just gotta let go. And the ever-perceptive Charlie picks up on his mood and asks, are we still talking about Sam, or... Did you just go through a breakup too? In this episode's previously on, Sam's breakup with his girlfriend was directly paralleled with Dean telling Benny they had to stop talking. Also, the script literally said yes in this scene as an emotional descriptor before Dean's line replying to Charlie of no. Dean pauses and says no, but all of us with eyes and critical thinking skills know that that is bullshit and so does Charlie. Outside of her role as the Winchester little sister and queer best friend to Dean, she also exists as a badass all on her own. She has every chance to run for her life in this mission and get somewhere safe and she decides not to. She is queen of this kingdom and she will not leave her soldiers, her friends, behind. She tells Dean that she likes to LARP because in real life she's just an IT nerd. But on Moondor, she's a hero, which is when Dean stops her and reminds her that without her help, they never would have defeated Dick Roman. That in real life, she is a hero. It's just really nice when Charlie gets praise for her heroism, especially when it comes from her brothers. It's just very soft. Also, being an actual queen and attracting every beautiful woman who looks her way is very Winchester of her, and I absolutely love her for it. Like when she finds out that the big bad of the episode has a fairy on a leash, 
she becomes the knight in shining armor and even makes out with the very pretty, very grateful fairy damsel in distress. And don't even get me started on the fact that they all celebrated defeating the bad guy by LARPing in a battle together, which means Dean got to LARP on his birthday with his sister. It's just, it's too much. So at the end of it all, the boys ask if Charlie is still gonna cut and run and she says, you know what, no, she's tired of running. It's time to stick around and be the hero she knows she is. Which is proven to be true because the next time we see her, it isn't because of the boys tripping over her on a case. She actually reaches out to them when she sees that they're in the same general area as her. And they invite her to come and see the bunker for the very first time. Again, her entrance established a little bit more of who she is as a character. She drives up in a little, kinda crappy car that's bright yellow. This is a car that you, like, notice when it's around you on the road, sort of in the way that Dean's car is eye-catching. But the color of hers is much louder and much more out in the open. Meaning her presentation to the world, through the car at very least, is parallel to Dean's, only she's more loud and noticeable where he is more below the radar, if you will. Yeah, I'm using their cars as a metaphor for their queerness, and yes, I believe I'm correct. Charlie never wanting to be caught off guard by a monster again, has started to study everything Hunter-related, including reading all of the Carver Edlin books and uploading all of the monster information she has into an easy-to-use process of elimination software. Sam is very jealous, as he should be. She's a natural-born hunter and a woman of letters, and we should all gape in awe of her brilliance. Sam in this episode is also benched hunting-wise because of the strain of the trials he's currently going through to close the gates of hell. So Charlie manages to convince Dean to bring her on a hunt. That is, after proving herself in the firing range with stunning accuracy. Is there even more in Charlie's past that we don't know about that makes her such an expert marksman? Or do we think it's just logging a bunch of hours in first-person shooter games? Now, as is becoming a tradition in these supernatural episodes of mine, it is time to give a little nod to the wardrobe department. And no, I'm not talking about the shopping montage yet, because the scene in the gun range, while also a moment that shows Dean that treating Charlie the same way he treats Sam, handing her a gun, saying, you belong in the field with me? Prove it. But she and Dean are literally wearing the same color clothing. She's in a maroon hoodie, and Dean is in one of his maroon button-ups. So her doing the thing we just saw Sam do, while also matching clothes with Dean, is a really large moment of her being a delightful mix of her two big brothers, and it's really touching. And later in the episode, sitting down at the table with the boys, we see her in a flannel shirt of her own, the colors brighter than the boys ever wear, and she pairs it with a signature graphic tee. But she's in the bunker, she has the flannel on, she's a Winchester now, baby. Okay, now I'm gonna talk about the shopping montage. Because truly, would a Charlie episode be complete without a soft Charlie and Dean scene and a little game of dress up? The montage resurrects Charlie's theme song of Walking on Sunshine, which is very well appreciated. And once again, being around Charlie softens Dean just a little bit. He lets his guard down to update her on what's happening while she's been gone. And just like the moment in season 8, LARP and the Real Girl, they have a sibling bondy slash bestie dress-up moment where Dean talks about his fears about Sam and the trials, and this time, Cass comes up. Charlie asks, what about Castiel? He seems dreamy. And Dean doesn't even react to that descriptor, he just says that Cass is busy with the angel tablet. But I refuse to brush over that comment. Charlie, why did you say dreamy? You read the Carver Edlin books. Did he write Cass as dreamy? Did you pick up on the inherent subtext of Cass and Dean's whole thing that's underneath it all? Or do you and Dean talk regularly and as he told you about Cass? 
Come on, Charlie. I know your gaydar is probably the best on the planet. I simply need to know how you got to the conclusion of Dream Me. You're correct, but I'm begging you to show your work. Also here again, we have the only openly queer character we know talking to Dean about Cass when last time they were in this same kind of scene was right after Dean and Benny's breakup and she noticed he was going through it. I'm just saying if Dean isn't bi, why is he always talking about the dreamy men in his life and his breakups when his gay sister is in town? Okay, I'm sorry. Back to the gay sister in question. We do get a cute moment of her and Dean pulling their FBI badges, and just like Cass, the first time Charlie pulls her FBI badge, it is upside down. It's a subtle but much appreciated touch that makes her even more endearing. This episode also does a whole hell of a lot explaining Charlie's backstory. We find out she wasn't in town for a comic convention and happened upon their location on her GPS. She's actually visiting her mom, who's been in a coma for years now. She gets taken captive by a jinn and has to relive her greatest fear over and over again, which manifests itself as a video game she once pirated, altered, and released into the world, marking her first arrest for hacking at 12. But it isn't until Dean throws himself into her mind, another nod to the costuming department in this scene, by the way, that Charlie has to confront her actual biggest fear is saying goodbye to her mom. Her mom, who was only lost to her, because when she was young, she was at a sleepover, and she got scared. So she called her parents to come and get her, and that's why they got in a car accident that killed her dad and put her mom into a coma. This show does love to bond the women it introduces to the boys by giving them similar tragedy. This amount of information we get on her in such a condensed period of time is also probably why we love her so much. Aside from her quirky nature and her badassness, just as we did with Jody, another incredible woman in the show that holds us all firmly by the heart, we see Charlie go through horrible, horrible tragedy. And all we want for her after that is for her to get through it and get the family she deserves in the Winchesters. And Dean does help her overcome it. He tells her he knows exactly what she's feeling right now. He knows how it feels to think you are responsible for your parents' death. He knows how tempting it is to look for an answer to all the pain, a way to trick the system and get what you want. But sometimes the pain just has to be felt down to your bones and let go. Sometimes you have to get through the bad thing so you can come out the other side of it. Even though he's also seeing Sam in her fever dream, that his fear of letting Sam go at the end of these trials is just as real as Charlie's fear of saying goodbye to her mom. But he does get through to her, and it works in breaking them out of the Jin dream, and they all get to walk away from the hunt with their lives. This goodbye with the boys is sweeter than all the rest before. She assures Sam that he's gonna get through these trials. She read the books, she knows their story, and she knows the Winchesters don't go down easy. And Sam tells her she's welcome back anytime that she is absolutely a woman of letters. She tells Dean that on her way out of town, she's going to stop by the hospital and finally let her mom go. And she asks if he's going to let his fear go, and he says, never. And his stubbornness makes her smile. Her goodbye with Dean gives us another Han Solo moment that Charlie is famous for. But this time, she's the one that says, I love you. And Dean's the one that says, I know. He gives her a hug and kisses her head, and if she wasn't sure she was part of the family before, she has to know it now. This episode ends with a scene of her reading The Hobbit to her mother as a final goodbye, and it's so quietly heartbreaking. 
It's such a private moment that it feels almost wrong for us to be seeing it. By season nine, the boys are the ones reaching back out to Charlie and asking her to come help with their 1950s computer in the bunker that they cannot make heads or tails of. Which is when they learn that she has been out hunting this whole time. Not just studying lore and keeping up with local attacks like she said last time. She's been out on hunts by herself, which has them worked into a tizzy. She's been alone and not sure what she's doing. And she acknowledges that, yes, it's stupid to be out on hunts by herself. Even reading the books, she knows that's a big no-no. But honestly, the fact that we don't get a spin-off series of all of Charlie's in-between adventures is an actual crime. Like, in this moment, she mentions that she took down a teenage vampire and a ghost, which she says sounds like a YA novel, but I maintain that it sounds like a good bottle episode. And in appreciation, again, of the costuming department, I would like to acknowledge at this time that she is still wearing a flannel shirt, but this time it's rainbow. Flannel, but make it gay, is an A-plus Charlie vibe, and I'm very much living for it. She, of course, figures out the 1950s old computer in no time at all, and we get a sweet brother moment. But this time it's with Sam. She tells him that she's basically getting to live her dream of being a hero and slaying monsters, but she's upset that it all isn't, you know, a little more magical. She wants a quest, a grand adventure, just a little bit more fun in her hunting travels. And from her lips to the weird bottle in the corner's ears, because suddenly... Dorothy and a Wicked Witch appear in the bunker. I'll be honest, I think my specific love for Charlie, besides the fact that we got a queer woman on the show as a part of the team, is the circumstances of her first three episodes. My specific affection for her is heavily tied to the fact that her first three episodes are themed around some of my favorite themes in movies and otherwise. The girl with the Dungeons and Dragons tattoo is at root a heist episode. And I could very truly watch nothing but heist movies on a loop for weeks and be satisfied. I've never LARPed, but the episode LARP and the Real Girl reminds me of the Renaissance fairs I used to go to every year where I may or may not have befriended a sword swallower and fallen in love with dressing up in a world of pretend for the whole day. And Slumber Party is about the Wizard of Oz. What in the world is more queer than the Wizard of Oz? She becomes a friend of Dorothy, for fuck's sake. Friend of Dorothy, for those that don't know, is a term that's been used to discreetly identify gay people because Judy Garland, who played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, is a gay icon. Also, something that pops out so much in this episode is that not only is Charlie family, she's the little sister that the boys want to keep safe on hunts. But they also acknowledge that she's infinitely smarter than them and is truly a valuable member of the team. Like when Dorothy wants to jump in and help the boys hunt in the bunker, Sam literally tells her that she would be better served to rest up and help the smartest person in the room. Which makes Dorothy and Charlie both get precious little smiles in their faces. Something tells me that as cocky as Charlie is, she isn't used to getting such sincere compliments like that, especially from people she cares about. The Dorothy-Charlie dynamic is really interesting here, because Charlie, living in a world aware of monsters and dreaming of magical places like Oz, and Dorothy has experienced wonder, but seems jaded by it. Charlie's sense of adventure, though, simply cannot be dampened. She knows she's destined for a magical quest, and she's not letting go of that for the sake of reality. And of course, Dorothy has hard eyes for Charlie. What kind of person with eyes and any kind of common sense could be around Charlie for five minutes and not fall in love with her? Then the show tries to kill your gaze Charlie for the first time, having her jump in front of the witch's attack to save Dean, like a magic lesbian bullet but with a magical witchy twist. Now when I say that Dean sees Charlie as family, it is never more apparent 
than when he thinks he has lost her. He's just as frantic seeing Charlie lie lifeless on that bed that he is when it's Sam or it's Cass in the same situation. He doesn't even hesitate in calling Zeke into the room and begging him to fix her. Even though Zeke says that staying in Sam for longer, extending the lie of his brother's recovery, is the price of bringing Charlie back. But Dean doesn't care. He can't lose Charlie. It's not fair and it's not her time and he's not gonna let it happen. And when she wakes up, she tells Charlie that she dreamt she was having Christmas with her mom and dad. And Dorothy is the one that breaks it to her that it wasn't a dream. Christmas with her family must be Charlie's version of heaven. You died, girl. And as tragic as it is, Dorothy is kind of right. She says you're not a real hunter until you've died and come back at least once. It's like a merit badge. It's a little bit true. Charlie takes the whole, you were dead for a minute thing, like, really well, considering they're still in a fight for their lives against a wicked witch. So well, actually, that she's the one to save the whole damn day while the boys are under a witch's curse. But she does have her little anxiety moment after all is said and done, asking Dean, am I a zombie now? And Dean assures her that she's gonna be fine, and she demands that one day he explains what the hell is going on to her, which of course he agrees to. This man has gone to battle against heaven and hell and won. But Charlie Bradbury is a force he simply cannot say no to. She has too much power over him. And then Dorothy invites Charlie to Oz, offering her the grand quest and great adventure she's been longing for. Dean points out, you have no idea what's in Oz. There's flying monkeys, armies of witches. There's all kinds of danger. To which Charlie simply asks, you promise? She was built for this. Walking off into the magical land of Oz with a badass girl on her arm? It's the greatest adventure, of course she's gonna do it. And the boys know it. They can't even fight it. They simply tell her that if she needs anything, they'll always be there for her. Just click your heels three times and there's no place like home. So she gives them a big hug and promises to come back if she ever needs to and walks off into the magical land of Oz for the greatest quest of her life. And don't get me wrong. The lesbian character getting together with Dorothy and walking off to Oz to live her adventure is an amazing walk-off moment. But I will forever be bitter that we never got a single bottle episode or even a glimpse into their lives in Oz. Can you imagine how good of a spin-off series that would have been? But what we do get is a follow-up about it when Charlie returns in season 10, times two, because Dark Charlie and Good Charlie have been split by the Wizard of Oz into two different people in a bid to try and win the war for Emerald City. Yeah, that's right. There was an off-screen, off-world war for Emerald City, and this show didn't think it sounded interesting enough to show us a single moment in Oz. It sounds like bullshit to me, but I digress. It's in this episode where we find out that Charlie's real name is Celeste Middleton. Following the trail of Dark Charlie's destruction, the boys pick up a file on her that outlines all the time she was evaluated by a shrink and found to have aggression and personality issues, which Dean points out is exactly the kind of thing a shrink would say about them if they were evaluated at her age. She's been through a horrible tragedy, but Dean knows Charlie's a good person and that there has to be an explanation for her coming back from Oz without calling and torturing people so severely. And that's why when good Charlie shows up just behind dark Charlie's escape, I mean, this woman has a way with dramatic entrances, and I do very much admire it. She explains to the boys how the split happened, and that dark Charlie won the war single-handedly, but she did some truly awful things. And Charlie tells her dark self that she doesn't want anything to do with her, 
but Dark Charlie thinks that getting revenge for the death of her parents will win Charlie back because that's what Dark Charlie is doing. She's hunting down the judge, the court reporter, anybody involved in the lack of prosecution of her parents' murder so that she can make her way to him and put him down. Charlie says, Dark Charlie is me. I'm the one doing this. But Dean tells her, it's not that, it's some twisted version of you. You know, sort of an exact parallel that the effect the Mark of Cain is currently having on Dean and the internal struggle he is having to try and not to turn into a demon monster because of it. There's No Place Like Home is not a subtle episode. It is Dean, over and over again, being confronted by Dark Charlie and being told that they are the same and that the pull of darkness is too strong and it's easier to give into it. This episode also makes sure to remind us that Charlie is gay. Please never forget it. We will mention it every time. Good Charlie would like to wrap the hot bartender lady in the bar that they're at in a blanket and send her to college. Dark Charlie would like to do much dirtier things than that. Still not saying the word lesbian though. The writers have never heard that word before, I guess. Dark Charlie pushes Dean over and over and over again, insisting they're the same, and it makes him having only a tenuous hold on the effects of the mark, snap. And he hurts her, which hurts good Charlie. And after all is said and done, and dark Charlie has been reabsorbed into Charlie's original recipe, she's battered and bruised, and she tells Sam she won't be returning to Oz. She can't. The key is broken. But it'll be in good hands with Dorothy. And she's had enough of an adventure. Her family needs her here. And that's when she turns to her other big brother, and just approaching Dean makes him flinch away. But just as he said to her about Dark Charlie, she tells him that she knows the person who attacked her wasn't him. She truly forgives him, even if he doesn't forgive himself. He flinches away from her when she approaches, afraid of the pain that he caused her. He can't look her in the eyes, but she forgives him anyway and insists that they're gonna do whatever they can to try and get that mark off of his arm. And she cares too much about him to watch him crumble over this. And then once again, he hugs her goodbye, saying he's sorry and calling her kiddo. And she tells him, if you're sorry, prove it. Keep fighting and find a way to beat this. And as she leaves, Sam tells her to be careful, as if that is in her nature at all anymore. Even with a broken arm and bruises on her face, she tosses him and Areva Dirty bitches, moves forward to the next thing before the blood is even dry. Because she's a Winchester and that's what they do. And then she goes after the Book of the Damned. Okay, let's get out ahead of this and just say that the whole storyline is one of the most upsetting things Supernatural has ever done. Charlie Bradbury was fucking fridged. She wasn't the first woman on the show to be a victim of this writing trope, but I would argue that hers is the worst. The definition of fridging, for those who don't know, or women in refrigerators, is a shorthand term to describe the storytelling trope where a female character is killed for the sake of a male character's development. The term was coined by Gail Simone for her website by the same name. It refers to an incident in the Green Lantern number 54 in 1994 where Green Lantern comes home to his apartment to find that his girlfriend, Alexandria DeWitt, has been killed and stuffed into a refrigerator. And the tragedy of her death is a basis for his future development. Like I said, Charlie is far from the first victim of this phenomenon on the show Supernatural, and she certainly wasn't the last. Supernatural consistently kills off woman after woman for the sake of developing the plots and emotions of Sam and Dean. Hell, the whole show was started with the fridging of Mary Winchester. It's just something about the Charlie death that hits us all like a Mack truck. The slow lead up to it 
might have made it even worse. Because Charlie in season 10 comes back from Venice again. Charlie was off having adventures in Venice looking for the Book of the Damned and we never got to seeing a single second of it. But she comes back in full badass mode, able to evade the men stalking her in an alley and hold them at knife point, standing firm even as they threatened her life and had her walking away with a gunshot wound to her gut. But thankfully, she read all the supernatural books and is a certified genius, so she stitches up her own gunshot wound with dental floss because she's a great fucking hunter and an incredible badass, and then she calls her brothers to come and help her. When the boys meet her at one of Bobby's cannons, she wakes up saying, Merry Christmas, which could have been a throwaway line, but it was also what she said when she came back from the dead in the Oz episode, so like, Charlie might have died for like a minute there, but I digress. When she and the boys are in the cabin trying to interpret the book, Charlie gets a moment alone with Sam again. She says that she thought her life would be different now. She never saw the world of hunting coming, and she and Sam both look at their lives and go, how did we get here? She says she used to have all these grand plans, but now she's just happy to be alive. Sam says he used to tell himself that every hunt was the last one before he was out, but he's happy with the life he has now and doesn't want it without his brother, which Charlie says she understands. Charlie's love for Dean being the thing that pushes her towards her tragic end feels like swallowing poison. Because her bond with the boys, her love for them, is what made us fall in love with her. She became a member of the family and we all accepted her in with open arms. It's the love that we felt radiating from her, her loyalty to that family, that leads to her death, which just fucking hurts. All right, deep breath. Let's just share a quick moment of joy, shall we? Because Charlie and Cass, in this episode, finally get to meet. The pure joy on both Cass and Charlie's faces when they finally meet for the first time is an electric spark of joy in a sea of darkness. She tells him, I thought you'd be shorter. And Charlie, baby, what did you mean? Is that how he's described in the Supernatural books? Because Cass's true form is literally taller than the Chrysler building. So if anything, Charlie should expect him to be taller, right? Or did Dean describe him to Charlie? Dean, the only one who's ever described Cass as a dorky little guy. And like, we're back to the Cass seems dreamy moment. Like, Charlie, I gotta know how Dean described Cass to you. But anyway, in this rare moment of happiness, the whole family sits down for dinner together and Charlie and Cass play with a handmade fortune teller game. Something in Cass's result makes Dean laugh out loud and I desperately need to know what that was. We deserved more Charlie, Dean, and Cass time together. It's not fair that this is all that we got. And listen, I actively try to not be a Sam hater, but the fact that he's the one that pulls Charlie back into everything with the Book of the Damned leaves a sour taste in my mouth. He knows it's dangerous, he knows the Steins are still after Charlie, and he puts her in danger anyway. Honestly, I fall on Dean's side of this when he found out what happened. I'm straight up angry. And just as we all love-hate this show in its entirety, I too contain multitudes when it comes to this storyline. Because the scenes of Charlie, Rowena, and Cass are fantastic. They're truly top-tier content that we deserved more of. Cass being assigned as the girl's babysitter and referee is amazing. He deserved more time with his sister-in-law. She deserved more time with her cool angel brother-in-law, and I will die mad about it. Rowena and Charlie are the queer ginger duo that would have been so fucking powerful together. They would have taken over the show in a hot minute and we all know it. Rowena certainly knew it. 
as she was the first to tell Charlie that the two of them are more alike than Charlie thinks. The Queen Milf herself points out that the only way that they really differ is that Rowena does not have blind devotion to the Winchesters. She uses the idea of devotion and loyalty as a bad thing, where Charlie sees it as nothing but a strength. She says that Sam and Dean are her brothers, and she loves them, and Rowena says, that will be your undoing. Which is just, that line in itself existing sucks. But it being said in the episode where Charlie dies makes my fucking blood boil. Because honestly, how dare they? How dare they take the love that Charlie has for Sam and Dean and turn it into the thing that gets her killed? How dare they write this smart, funny, kind, badass woman, bring her so closely into the boys' lives, and then rip her away like this? Come to think of it, they did the very same thing to her that they eventually did to Cass. They used the fact that she loved Dean Winchester. Yes, Charlie loves Sam too, but her bond with Dean in the show is undeniably stronger. And decided that it would be the very thing that got her killed. Her ending is cruel and heartless and unnecessary and fucking unfair on so many different levels, there is no excuse for it. Fridging Charlie Bradbury is one of the worst writing decisions ever made on the show Supernatural, and it is blatantly unforgivable, no matter how they tried to rationalize it. They made her fight with Rowena as an excuse to get her out from Cass's protection, and they killed her for what? To give Dean motivation to go after the Steins? To push him closer to the darkness? It would just be nice if these writers ever once thought outside of their box of killing women as a means of story development. Now, I struggle with the decision of whether to include Apocalypse Charlie in this breakdown. Because at the end of the day, Apocalypse World Charlie is a different character than Charlie Bradbury, Queen of Moons. But honestly, it felt like it would be a disservice to her to stop here where the original story ended. Her story was so abruptly brought to an end that I didn't want this analysis of her to go out like that. She deserves better, but the little bit of her that we got through Apocalypse Charlie is better than nothing at all, even if it hurts. So let's discuss Charlie Bradbury 2.0. Like I said, Apocalypse World Charlie is a different person. She doesn't have the same attachment to the boys that original recipe counterpart did. But at her core, Charlie Bradbury is always going to be a hero, no matter the universe. So of course, she's leading the rebellion against a host of angels that Michael has under his command. Of course, she stands up to the torture of her angel captor with a couple of snippy bite-me comebacks and the stamina of a champion. She's willing to sacrifice her life to protect the people in her army, and that's a very Charlie Bradbury way of thinking. But also, along with my admiration of Charlie in this universe, the look on Dean's face when he first sees her in Apocalypse World, tears my heart to bits. And his determination that they rescue her and make sure she's not left behind, that's his sister. She's alive, and he's not willing to fail her again like he failed her last time. Which makes it just a little bit funny when he does come to her rescue and her first reaction is, uh, who the hell are you? Dean tells her all about who he is, who her otherworld counterpart was, and once she finds out that the love Dean had for other her was not romantic, because it seems her courage is not the only thing she has in common with Charlie 1.0, she concludes that she probably would have liked otherworld her. I do love that being a hero and being a lesbian are so tied to the core of Charlie that even being in an alternate universe copy can't change that. She points out to Dean that in the aftermath of the rescue, she's not the woman he lost, no matter how badly he wants her to be. Which is true. 
She's not the woman he remembers, but she's still someone he loves, immediately and unconditionally. Even if this version doesn't see him as a brother, she's his sister right away, and that fact remains unchanged. And much like when we first met Original Recipe, Dean's first instinct is to protect her. He tries to bring her back with him through the rift and get her the hell out of Dodge, but just like the first Charlie did with the Leviathans and with Moondor, this version also refuses to leave her people behind. However, once she's in the world we're used to, and Chuck starts destroying all the other universes, Charlie has to settle into a regular life of hunting. And this Charlie hates hunting. This Charlie lost the love of her life back in Apocalypse World and wants to just go off into the woods to be alone with her Wi-Fi and nothing else. Which, after everything she's been through, is completely fucking fair. But Sam convinces her that she needs people. That everyone needs people around to keep themselves sane. And then the last time we see Charlie Bradbury, or anybody that isn't Sam, Dean, Jack, or Chuck, is in episode 1518, Despair. She's just sitting down to have breakfast with her new girlfriend. Finally happy and settled in a bright and colorful home. They hunt together, and they have perfect scrambled eggs, and they're happy and in love. And even the set of the apartment with the bright yellow floors and the color, it's like they were bringing that original version of her that we all fell in love with back into this new version to give us a little bit more. And then in the blink of an eye, Charlie loses the woman she loves again. She vanishes in front of her, eggs and plate going splattering onto the floor, and Charlie Bradbury is left alone again. And I would also like to give one last nod to the costuming department here, because along with all the set design bringing back the colors of old Charlie, here in 1518 Despair, the last time we ever see Charlie Bradbury, the shirt that she is wearing has a sunset on it. She came into us walking on sunshine, and she's leaving heartbroken with a sunset on her chest. The fact that she is used in this episode to say the line, I told myself I was done with the love thing, and then I opened myself up, and this happens. She says that to Dean in the very same episode where Cass confesses his love, the angel finally experiencing a moment of true happiness, only to be taken by the empty and never seen again. 1518 really gave the two queer characters in the show just one moment of happiness, only to rip it all away from them twice in the same episode. It's fucking evil. But after all of this, the whole journey that is Charlie Bradbury, I don't want to end this episode on such a downer of a note. It's not what Charlie deserves. So right now is when I'd like to include a few words from one of the biggest Charlie lovers I've ever known. You all might know her as Hufflepuff Hunter from TikTok. So without further ado, some words from Tegan about what Charlie Bradbury means to her. Charlie is pure happiness. She radiates joy. She'll probably forever be my favorite character out of anything ever. And it still kind of blows my mind that a character as amazing as Charlie was in Supernatural. She's a lesbian. She's badass. She's super smart. She was well-written. She's relatable. She was everything that the show needed. And every episode that she was in was made a hundred times better just because she was there. 
Supernatural did not deserve Charlie Bradbury and I will die on that hill. She's also just like this big nerd who got the chance to live out her fantasies and dreams and we kind of got the chance to live vicariously through her within that. She grew up adoring stories like Harry Potter, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and she made something of herself through that passion rather than changing herself and letting go of those things. She always stayed true to herself and never let anybody put her down for who she was and what or who she loved. And I think that's one of the big things that I love so much about her. She's so determined. She went through so much, yet somehow always had a smile on her face and remained positive. She never gave up, and seeing her find a family through Sam and Dean after so many years of not having one was something so special. She inspires me every single day. Charlie was really the first out and proud queer person with more than just a couple lines whose character didn't completely revolve around their sexuality or their coming out journey that I remember seeing in a show. And seeing somebody so open about who they are in my favorite show was something so special and it really helped me a lot with discovering who I am. Charlie is such an important character and the amount of times I've watched her episodes is probably a bit concerning. We definitely deserve so many more episodes, but she's helped me through a lot and she'll forever mean the world to me. Charlie Bradbury, lesbian ray of sunshine, queen of moons, has cemented herself as one of the strongest, most badass female characters in the history of television. The way that Charlie looked up to characters like Princess Leia and Hermione Granger is the way that we look at her. She is powerful. She is kind. She is beautiful. She is strong. She is funny. She is loving. She is brave. She is a Winchester. She will always have a place in our hearts. She deserved better, but I believe that this supernatural family, this supernatural fan base, the love that we put out into the world for her in our fan fictions and in our continued stories about the way that this show should have ended, can give her a little bit of peace as a character. We were lucky to even have her, and we will never let her be forgotten. Charlie Bradbury is a lesbian ray of sunshine. It's the only way I could think to describe her, and it's exactly what she deserves. Thank you for listening to this episode of Skip to the Gay Parts. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Skip to the Gay Parts wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at the Gay Parts Pod, on Instagram at Skip to the Gay Parts Pod. You can email me at Skip to the Gay Parts at gmail.com, where you can find all of the information for our Ko-Fi and the host TikTok, me, Amanda, at abnormalamanda underscore 18. Thank you so much for your continued support, and I'll see you next time.